Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Embiid! Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The New Slant. I am your host, Kyle Newbeck. As always, with me is the, a cheesesteak dip eater. Big Sixers fan. Had a, a wild night watching the Lakers. My friend, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you doing? Slightly hungover, but fantastic. What was the, uh, the sauce of choice during the Lakers game? Like the alcohol? Yes. Uh, I was drinking these two robbers, uh, pineapple ginger seltzers. It tasted like ginger beer with a hint of pineapple. Those were pretty good. Sounds pretty good, although that sounds more like a, to me, that's like a, a summery drink. It is. I don't know if that's a, a winter drink for me. Nah, I just, you know, I'm sitting inside. So it's not like I, if I was sitting in a parking lot, I wouldn't be yeah. drinking it before a game or anything like that. Though that's... they have uh, Bud Light seltzers at the Sixers game now, and you would have thought that sounded terrible, but... Uh, you know, I consider myself a alcoholic seltzer connoisseur to a degree, and one of the better ones, the Bud Light brand. Are Bud Light seltzers underrated? Yes, they are. <laughs> Speaking of underrated, a Sixers team down two starters, including Joel Embiid, heads into a Saturday night national TV showdown with the Los Angeles Lakers. A lot of people expecting. Yeah, maybe they'll get blown out. Maybe they'll they'll, like, they'll probably lose. It's the team with the best record in the West. And the Sixers came out, and outside of a stretch in the fourth quarter where they looked like the the classic Sixers that, that can't close out a game, that I thought they pretty much dominated that game last night, and they were comfortably the better team. And most of it came down to Ben Simmons just being – the best player on the floor in a game where there was an all-time great and a current MVP candidate. So that is really saying a lot. And it like that is up there with any of the games that he's played recently during this run that's been the best extended stretch probably of Ben's career. I just thought he was fantastic on Saturday night, Sheamus. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, you know, the second one of these performances in the last week or so we're like, well, he can be the MVP of this league one day. It's a performance like that that kind of makes you ignore some of the more glaring flaws, flaws in his game and maybe even makes you think that they don't even matter that much. I do want to say, 
I think the way the Lakers defended him was just completely batshit. The fact that they had number one, they're using Danny Green to defend him, but number two, they're having Danny Green play up on him all the way out to the three point line. And like, dude, if you give Ben's got a lot of issues that he's got to deal with on the offensive end. But if you guard Ben with somebody who's not quick enough and strong enough to guard him and you're allowing him to just like, if he gets one step, he's gone. He's going to eat you alive. Like, I don't understand what Frank Vogel was thinking, like why there was never any shift in philosophy once it was clear that it wasn't going to work. But even with all that being said, I give credit to Simmons for actually taking advantage of a matchup like that because there have been times in the past when he's been handed favorable looks, favorable matchups, and he still allows himself to get baited into playing too passively. I don't know if it was the fact that he's standing across from his mentor, LeBron James. I don't know if it the national TV stage meant a little more to him, whatever the case was. He certainly was ready to play last night, and, and he – He's been playing with an attitude that you and I have really been harping on him to play with more, Seamus. He he played downhill. He got to the rim, and he just didn't allow them to, to stop him at any point. Here's a theory I've had yesterday going into the game and potentially confirmed because of the performance. So obviously we know that LeBron James is the figurehead of the clutch sports group. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. Also part of the clutch sports group, Anthony Davis. In addition to him, Ben Simmons. Obviously, the Lakers have been maybe the story of the league so far this year. Uh, best record in the West, second best record overall. LeBron looks, you know, he didn't look great last night, but looks rejuvenated this season compared to where he was last year. AD maybe playing the best basketball of his career. Yeah. Ben Simmons, a little bit of an up and down year in terms of public perception. Uh, he's like, what, like sixth or seventh in all-star voting for guards just in the Eastern Conference. And he's going to be on a big stage, national TV game, ABC, like network television. And it's time for Ben to make a stand. So what do you think about Clutch telling LeBron AD, take it a little easy last night, (laughs) and then have Ben have like a supernova game and kind of redirect his trajectory to stardom? I definitely do not buy that. I, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that the Lakers were at the end of a road trip and, and they were kind of weary, obviously, that you could tell throughout a lot of the game. But on the flip side of that is they still clearly had enough left to turn it up towards the end of that game and try to make a, a real run at, at winning it. And the Sixers, luckily, it's weird because they've just been in – so many of these close games this year that it's it's almost a good thing I know it's like obviously it'd be better for the fans and people like me if they were blowing teams out and that would well someone think of the media members well I'm not even saying like so then it wouldn't be all this consternation over every win like I try to stress that look if they're piling up wins it doesn't necessarily matter that they're all they don't have to be the Bucks and win all these games by like 15 points with their gimmicky regular season bullshit. But if they could win some games comfortably, I think the the perception around this team would be a lot different than it is now where, where people view them as a team that gets up for big games but on any other night is a, a complete wild card and is capable of losing 
to anyone just as they're capable of beating almost anyone. Yeah, I mean, as a fan, I would certainly prefer more games where I'm not pulling my hair out in the last four minutes or I'm not <laughs> spending the entire fourth quarter waiting for the inevitable collapse into a close ball game. But I think that definitely plays a role in the the national perception of them where they don't seem like this dominant team. They're not, you know, the Zach Cram Penn net rating champs or something along those lines because they're struggling to close out games strong. And, you know, it kind of leads into the whole idea of them being switch flippers, which, you know, we can get into that too. But, you know, based on last night, the recording this Sunday, based on Christmas Day, based on that Heat game in October, they really truly do seem like a team that, not that they've earned the right, and it sounds weird to say that sometimes because you think the teams that are going to flip the switch are like the 2013 and 2014 Heat, like the teams that have been through, you know, the whole rung of everything. They won championships, but it seems like this is the Sixers team we have. They are switch flippers, and we are going to have to hope they switch the hell out of it come April and May and ideally June. Yeah, it, it's one of it, this is the sort of game that you almost have to you have to keep this in the back of your mind at all times. Like next week when they predictably lose to the Atlanta Hawks because they spend too much time in Atlanta strip clubs the night before, and then Trey Young puts up like thirty five points, and Joel Embiid is back but is obviously not in true game shape yet. That is like you're gonna have to remember that when they are locked in and when they are prepared for a specific opponent and underrated thing, when they have some practice time that this team can get out there and work on new wrinkles and integrate new people into the rotation, that's when they're going to look better. And so once it's, you keep that in your back pocket and remember that once they get to the playoffs, they're going to have multiple off days where they can work on things and make adjustments and the guys can rest more and, there are less quote unquote schedule losses or, or effort based losses where they just, they don't show up to play some crappy team. That's not even sniffing the playoffs. So, you know, the, the evidence I guess continues to mount that they have as high a ceiling as any team in the league. Now, obviously there are questions about how realistic it is for them to hit that ceiling in a playoff setting. We saw, earlier in the week that against Toronto after losing Josh Richardson to injury mid game that teams like that tough playoff minded teams can still give them a ton of trouble on the road and and overcoming these road demons is one of their their biggest tests between now and and mid-April but it's just they have to be the weirdest team in the league and they're still even with as weird there are weirdos there they are philadelphia's weirdos it's very uh it's perfect for this it's so fitting that this team could be like so much more but at the same time they're still awesome but at the same time they're still like friggin infuriating and they still have a puncher's chance at not even just making the finals winning the whole thing It, it doesn't make any sense but it's like the perfect possible team for like the craziest media market and fan base possible it's it's uh, it's unbelievable it's the team is a is a reflection of ben simmons in the sense that they're an eye of the beholder team where like somebody will sit there and look at all the crappy losses and where they sit in the standings right now and in late january and say yeah this team's a a fraud they're not going to do anything and then a more optimistic person perhaps like yourself seamus 
will sit there and say, look, when they've been up to play, they have not just beat good teams. They've kicked the shit out of them. Like the, the game against Milwaukee outside of the late close was not close. This game outside of a stretch in the fourth was really not close. When Miami came for the first time and they were ready to prove a point to Jimmy Butler, they blew that team out of the water. So, you know, like I get it. I can see both sides of the argument. I have to continue to to dig deep and, and scrutinize them on a level that maybe some people don't appreciate day to day. But I, I will certainly keep in mind that they have a – a pretty high ceiling that they can get to if they could ever get their shit together on a regular basis. In terms of immediate overreactions, uh, 538, the Nate Silver site. Nate Silver, obviously one of the smartest people in the history of the world who I've always trusted his methodology and statistics. <laughs> uh, 538 released their latest Raptor rankings, uh, which currently have the Sixers at a 45% chance to make the finals, which is the most in the league for a team in either conference. Uh, with the Clippers being 36%, the Lakers having a 35% chance of making the finals, and the Bucks having a 37% chance. 37% chance. And to win the finals, the Sixers have a 24% chance, which is the most of any team in the league, with the Clippers having 21%, the Lakers 20%, and then the Bucks 19%. Look, so, Nate Silver knows a lot more yeah, about statistics it's, it's, than me. It's going to be great when, uh, you know, according to Nate Silver, the Sixers are going to see uh, President Clinton this summer uh, at the White House to <laughs> do their uh, world champion unveiling. The only thing I'll say about 538 is that my guy, Chris Herring, is one of the best people in basketball media. Just a super nice guy. Writes all kinds of great stuff. Oh, he's and awesome. He's the, and he's the only person that I really care to acknowledged from from 538 at this time no further comments he's a good dude um all right moving on to some other lakers based stuff where do you stand on that al horford performance Seamus? On, on a scale of one to ten al horford's well like is is more al horford's more classic al horford is or is more al horford's like Fuck Al Horford. Classic Al Horford. I mean, mean, that was like an ideal role player game for him, right? That's the game before the season you envision. Hey, Embiid's out. We're having a big time, prime time game. This is obviously a a switch flipping moment for this team. And he had what, like 16 and 8? Had some nice defensive moments. Gave him a 7.8 horse out of 10. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think even within overall, it was a good performance. Yeah, it's a good performance and a good defensive performance. But like even within that, you see the the strengths and weaknesses of Horford on defense. When when L. A. tried to go vertical with Anthony Davis and they're throwing lobs and 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 leaning into that part of AD's game, Horford just has no chance. Like he's not big enough and he's not athletic enough to jump with Anthony Davis, and that's fine. Like the, he shouldn't be expected to. That's not his game. But when he had Anthony Davis on an island and Davis is trying to post him or face him up and do all this stuff, Davis couldn't really do anything. Like he was having fits in the first quarter specifically. I thought it was hilarious because obviously LeBron is the one of the guys around the league that has the most theatrics when he, he thinks he didn't get a foul call that he should have gotten. Davis complained on like four or five in the first quarter and a half where Horford just played really good defense and got into his chest and Davis would miss these like 
falling away layups and these crazy shots and he's looking for someone to bail him out it's like dude he's just playing solid Al Horford defense and I thought all things considered I was I came into that game really worried that that Davis was going to just have a an absolutely monster game because Joel Embiid has played him as well as anybody yeah he Davis stinks and he seems like a well listen in a game where I don't even think he was especially good he had 31 points on 13 to 22 from the field yeah he was <laughs> sigh relief that Joe wasn't out there for him <laughs> so he was still like he was really good offensively last night but yeah I, I thought Horford was great there and then we saw a little bit of the flashes of Boston Atlanta Horford on offense in the fourth quarter. He's basically the Sixers closer. He's the guy who he put that game out of reach at the end. That's not really a role we've seen him play all that often in Philly, nor should he really be asked to do that all that often. But it, it was, I guess it, it's probably comforting for a lot of people to know that it's actually possible for him to do that because it feels like he's missed 95 percent of the shots he's taken if i'm uh just going off of like how it feels when we watch these games hmm deep in thought over there yeah like what do you think happens to horford and ben when joe comes back because it seems like horford settled in well in terms of this type of running and gunning ben style and I know we wanted to talk about what do you think is going to happen when Joe returns. And one thing you had brought up that might as well get into that is, do you think he's returning too quickly? Because I really have no basis for this injury. It's not like a foot injury or a knee or a back where I'm so overly hesitant to even have him move somewhat quickly back to the court. But with a finger issue, I don't really know what to expect from this. What have you seen in practice from him? I know you posted a video, I believe, either Saturday or Friday of him practicing and shooting with both hands. Yeah. So what do you expect from him in terms of the timeline? And as well, what do you think, in what way do you think that injury could hamper him coming back? Do you think it'll hamper his play style? Uh, you know, one thing I've seen people be vocal about on Twitter is because of how much success Ben has had of late is that they want Joe to be more of a three-point shooter. And, you know, that's its own debate whether we should have a Ben-focused offense versus a Joe-focused offense. But do you think that could affect his shooting at all? Yeah, so is it his right hand or left hand? It's his non-shooting hand. Okay, that's a, that's okay. Which is like that. Uh, not that you would want him to be hurt. Period. But if that's you're going to have an injured hand, the best that's injury. the better one. Yeah, as long as it's not his eye or his face again. Right. Yeah, that he's not wearing a uh, a carbon fiber mask this time. He will he be wearing. That. He told us he is going to have to wear. He called it a cast. I don't know if that's correct i don't know if it's like a wrap or, or or what it's the actual term will be for what he's wearing but he will have to wear some sort of a device on his left hand to play when we saw him at practice on friday a lot of the work he was doing was trying to get used to the fact that teams are just going to be swiping at his hand and hitting it and and dealing with that they had roy hibbert playing physical with him so that he's ready to to deal with teams targeting him in a way there now what he told us and the reason i'm like a little skeptical of him returning at this point he said that initially he was told this is typically like a month-long recovery and he, he'll be back in let's say assuming he's back next week which all signs seem to indicate that's the case or this coming week i guess i should say that that's at about what is it like two and a half weeks maybe like maybe three depending on when he returns and 
that feels a little quick to me. I know that this the upcoming schedule between they play Boston, they play Miami, they play Milwaukee, they play the Clippers all before the All-Star break. And all those games are, are games that they want, games that matter in the standings for tiebreakers, so on and so forth, even for their psyche. I do wonder if they're rushing him back a little bit or it, it might be more so that he wants to rush back and – you know, I don't want to kill him for – you give him credit for wanting to be the guy that comes back and he's trying to help the team during a time when Richardson's gone down and they need all the help that they can get, especially against these good teams. But in the back of my mind, it's always going to be that, that push-pull where I wonder if he can – he's often his own worst enemy in that way. So when do you think he's going to come back? Do you think he's going to be pre-All-Star break? I wouldn't play oh, until Oh, I think the- he's playing – if like, he doesn't play against Golden State oh, on wow. Tuesday, I think he plays versus Atlanta. I because I you think they'd use that Atlanta game as a little bit of a warm up before Milwaukee on Saturday? Yeah, one or the other. Either like let's say he plays Tuesday, maybe they give him Atlanta off, and then he's rested up for for Boston. Although I don't know that rest. Oh, Boston. Always, I'm sorry, Milwaukee's the 23rd. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know that rest always even benefits him. So I don't know that. Like giving him an off day in one of those would work, but, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about the the off days are so weird with a player that you would think needs more rest than anyone ever. But at the same time, it's counterintuitive to his conditioning and right. play style. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So what they told us was he will be reevaluated tomorrow after going through his first full practice. Or tomorrow, as in Monday, he'll be reevaluated Monday after going through his first full practice on Friday. And what he told us was that he's been doing and will continue to do two-a-day workouts until he's back with the team. He's been doing a lot of work on the bike, the elliptical, all kinds of other – we've seen him running in the gym just with Sixers CrossFit staffers and, and doing whatever. So he is putting in work to try to just be in in shape when he comes back. But obviously, like all the other stuff, him playing in the post, him shooting with the – the wrap on his hand, those are questions that we're not really going to see answered until he's back. But I do think that his return is coming very, very soon, and that will that's certainly going to change things for for a lot of people. Um, I know. So you asked about Ben. I realized I I, didn't I threw like a million things out you at once. It's totally yeah. fine. No. So I, I think to me there are, are two keys with Joel coming back. Is number one, they do they have to continue to use Ben in a way that is not just, Hey, you're the point guard, run the offense. And that's it. I think I, I give, I give Brown, but I also give a lot of the, the supplementary players, a lot of credit for like Neto gets thrown into the rotation and they run a bunch of pick and rolls with him. Shake Milton comes out of nowhere. hasn't played in like two months. They put the ball in his hands and he's making some plays. I'd like, I thought that was, I was it was a WTF moment for me when Milton got the start against the Lakers. Oh man, that seemed like one of those disaster moments where like, oh my god, Shake Milton starting and right, the he played really well. He had nine rebounds. He had three assists. He had had electricity to him in the first game. He brought some life into the game. Yeah, so like he had a pulse. You give a lot of credit to someone like Shake for he just stayed ready. He he waited a long time for. His- <laughs> He waited a long time for his opportunity, came out. And so I, but the point being, they have to continue to try to use Ben in different ways. You lean into him 
as a forward. I don't I think we'll probably see the small ball center looks disappear because it'll go back to being Horford being the guy there. But the lesson that they learned has to be we need more guards on the floor so that it's not just Ben running the offense. That's number one. And number two, Joel has to be willing to accept that the offense is going to go through Ben at times. And that's not always with Ben handling the ball. Sometimes that means Ben's going to be working from the elbow and Joel has to go to the opposite corner and space and get out the way. Just the same way that Joel has publicly and and not so sneakily suggested that Ben needs to shoot so that he has space on post-ups. Joel's got to be willing to to do what it takes to to make the the environment as good as possible for Ben. So it's going to be a collaborative effort. I don't know. It's it's not going to be the cleanest thing in the world. Obviously, end of the day, they are not the perfect fit together, but I certainly am not one of the people who believes that they just can't get the best out of Ben with Joel out there. I think with as good as the two of them are defensively, they certainly bring the best out of each other there. And I think they just have to be willing to commit to different offensive styles and, and, and a, a game plan that demands the most out of Ben Simmons. I think they're both rhythm players in a way. So I think that's one of the issues when you're trying to mix two styles in the middle of one game where you're having yeah. Ben minutes versus Joe minutes as opposed to a game where Joel is out entirely and Ben does his whole thing. Uh, and I think that having the entire game to get into a rhythm and into his play style brings out that aggressiveness that we wanted for Ben so badly so that during a normal game when both Joe and Ben are playing, it's difficult for one, hey, here's a three-minute stretch with Joe all sits, and Ben, you're going to run the team like Joe's not even here. And it's hard for him to channel that, I think, in that short period of time as opposed to over the course of a larger game. Or when he goes into those games like last night with the mentality of, it's, hey, it's my team, there's no Embiid, it's all on me, I'm going to go do my thing. Yeah, and like you say that they're rhythm players, but even on top of that, it's a rhythm sport. Like, the yeah, I mean, like, who isn't a rhythm see, player, right? Yeah, you you tend to see when guys have longer leashes and have time to get going. Eventually, they're going to find their their groove and, and and pick their spots and and figure it out as scorers. That's it. Doesn't matter if you're. LeBron James, like a, a an all time great player, or if you're just some low level eighth man guard. Is Shake Milton a rhythm player? <laughs> but and I'm not I'm not dismissing your point at all. I'm just saying like I think that's true across the board. It's always a thing where you have to find what guys are good at, who they're good alongside, and one thing I think was not talked about a lot after that game, at least not that I saw against LA is that Brett Brown made some like dramatic changes to the rotation between starting shake. He's pulling Ben earlier to get him rest so that he can bring him in as a small ball center. And then, so then you're relying on different lineup combinations to, to win those minutes without Ben. They avoided the end quarter lineups where it was just all bench players and they're getting, picked apart by a good team like I I thought there were some very important adjustments that that Brett made on Saturday night now I don't think I think it was more about the talent executing than anything but I I think 
the the broad view of Brett is that he's just sort of st- stuck in his ways and doesn't do anything proactively. And I thought there were there were plenty of examples last night of them trying to to make moves on the chessboard to give themselves the best chance to beat the Lakers. Furcon good night. I I bet on his on that DraftKings bonus. We talked about a lot of money given away by yeah, by DraftKings so, yesterday. <laughs> do you want to explain that bonus for the listeners? Yeah, so I don't I don't know how many of you are are gamblers, but there was a promotion on Saturday where it was a max bet of $50 as long as the Sixers didn't lose by 77 points or more. You could double your money on a $50 max bet and Really, the reason a company does something like that is it's free advertising, right? Like you sign up people, and then you get that money right back for them. Yeah, a ton of people sign up and they they win their fifty dollars, and then they say, "Well, now I have a hundred dollars to gamble," and most people are going to lose that in fairly short order. So I, I don't bet on the Sixers as a rule. Like ethically, I feel like that's wrong. But since that was basically giving me free money. I was not turning that down, and I think our friend Seamus. Yeah, our, our friends at Philly Voice like might not like to hear about that. If we'll see how that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But yeah, so I had some free bets in there. I don't know from what, or I did different bonus codes and never cashed in on them. But I had three different other bonuses in there. So I took Furcon over two and a half threes. I believe that was plus one twelve. So I hit for fifty six. But I'll bring the app up because I want to get the odds right. And I also did Ben at first field goal of the game which he did not hit which would have been like $25 to win a buck 37 and then I also had Ben over combined 38 and a half for rebounds assistant points uh which he hit easily so I yeah, made that out, wasn't even close so I won like 131 last night that's listen that's a good nice nice little bonus on top of a, a Saturday night win for yeah. Sheamus yeah, I've been I've probably been getting too deep into the gambling weeds lately. I'm not a gam I was a gambler, I am no longer. So as long as as soon as I real finalize that that money has been sent to my PayPal, I will be deleting the app until the inevitable <laughs> next, you know, Sixers plus 47,000 to win a game. Yeah, what I did was as soon as I won, like I made an initial deposit and as soon as I won more than I had deposited, I just withdrew the initial one. And so now anytime I have like real winnings that are accumulating, that's just going into a separate like Venmo PayPal rather than my checking so that I can keep track of how I'm doing. So as long I to me, as long you know what as they I'm call not that? touching money laundering, <laughs> as long as I'm not touching like real money that I need to live, it's just a nice little, yeah sideshow for me I, i'm i should have gotten into it more during football season because football mm-hmm. betting i i think is a lot easier than than basketball that's what they want you the, to think where the variance is just like outrageous because i don't like i never would have i i think that the sixers were like plus four last night which the way they played at home that was like a little a little dicey but i never would have thought wow the sixers are going to win by 17 points in that game so you never truly know uh, speaking of points one person we haven't gotten to in the podcast yet who i thought was absolutely sensational for most of that game is tobias harris fantastic who, 
I, I we've been we've been hot and cold with Tobias. I mean, times. just I think, I think just the beginning of the season he, he had a rough stretch, and I was obviously yeah. uh, a little upset about that. But other than that, you know that what four or five week stretch, uh, he's been fantastic. He's been exactly what he's advertised as. He's a guy who can score in a few different ways offensively. He's a great catch and shoot player to play off. Ben, as well as Joel, when he's in there, and he's been way better on D than he's ever been. It's his best defensive season ever, I would say. It just makes I know that I, like maybe I overly harp on this part, but when he can hit threes, the difference is just astronomical for him and this team. Because when teams are not able to cheat off of him or, or sag at all, and don't feel comfortable doing that, and that's when everything comes to life for him because the guys who are bigger and slower he can blow past them the guys who are smaller he's going to take them down to the mid post and shoot over them every time if you're Kyle Kuzma who he went up against on Saturday you're going to get roasted no matter what you do because you're an overrated piece of crap bleach boy that dude honestly is just it's amazing how much he actually gets talked about just because he's on the Lakers. He is. I called him uh, Peroxide Darrell Wright last I night love it. on Twitter. And my, the the replies were all like, yeah, but Darrell Wright actually made threes. Which is a very, like, look, Kyle Kuzma is not always as bad as he was on Saturday. But it's a fair point. I mean, when he's not hitting shots, that guy doesn't really do anything. And the fact that he's supposed to be... I don't know. I don't know if I would say third best player, but at least like fourth best player behind LeBron, AD, and probably Danny Green. That is a uh, that's not a good situation for a team playing in the Western Conference. Yeah, didn't they make the finals? I think I would probably bet on the Clippers. To yeah, come I still out think of the Clippers West. figure it out. Yeah, I, I think even even in spite of the fact that the Clippers are. Not as good as maybe they should have been up to this point. That's been with Kawhi sitting out a bunch of games, it's, Paul George missing a lot of there's time. There's Sixers West, flips, switch filters. They're still like, I don't remember their exact record. I want to say they're like 32 and they're maybe 31 and 13, something along those lines. But they're, I mean, they're hanging around. I, I do think at some point the Lakers are going to hit a dip in form. Maybe we're starting to see it right now. And, I believe Utah and the Clippers are not far behind. I would not be shocked if if somebody passes them for the one seed at some point in the next month, month and a half. But but back to Harris. Like I that's the when they signed him to a one hundred eighty million dollar deal in the offseason, this is the guy who they wanted. Someone that he was aggressive hunting his shot, which sometimes is a problem for him. He gets lost within the flow of the offense. He's scoring at all three levels. He's he's playing. He's committed on defense. He he's been better there as we've talked about pretty much the entire season. I just he doesn't get as much credit as he probably deserves for the season that he's having. I I think he's probably below the the All Star tier. I think there was a he's a fringe All Star guy is what I consider him. Yeah, and like look, that's who he was last year to a certain extent too. So it. As long as he plays at that level, I, I think they'll end up being happy with the the contract they gave him because I think he's – one of the things that's hard for people to understand 
on the outside is how big of a difference he makes just as like a person and who he is. Seems like an awesome guy. He's just such a good dude. And it's like when they go through tough stretches and they have losses where the people on the outside are, are, are ripping the team and, and saying this, saying that, including myself, like the criticism I lob at that team on a everyday basis. He's one of the guys that helps keep everyone with the right perspective. He's an organizer in terms of making sure they do team events together and all that. He's in people's ear to make sure nobody gets too down. Like he should, that is as much as they paid for production. And that is ultimately what people are going to judge him on that. The stuff that he does in that way is a big reason that they felt comfortable handing him the money that they did and so like I've said this before but if you are going to bet on someone to live up to a big deal just based on their character I would say he certainly is is pretty high on the list high praise yeah I mean look I like I'm not disagreeing with it as much as we like we focus on the actual the basketball minutiae and all that stuff but I mean, like, we just brought up the Clippers. If you look at what's been coming out about the Clippers recently, where there's uh, that stuff's animosity. Hilarious. That stuff's insane. Yeah. yeah uh, so well, who was it? The Athletic, I believe it was. Sam yeah. Uh, the, the the Clippers players that are not named Kawhi Leonard or Paul George are upset that the team is favoring those guys, even though they spent the last two years opening things up just to sign those guys. So I don't know what the <laughs> hell they thought the fucking deal was. Yeah, I mean, look, some of that's a reflection of they just have a, a weird cast of characters in L.A. There's too many characters. Like, almost. This, I wish the Sixers had more characters. They have, like, too much there. Believe me, I do, too, because it would make my, like, getting quotes and all that would be a lot easier. Could use a little a Lou little, little Will. Lou Will, I'm sure, would. He's a quote. Montrez Harrell, that dude talks spicy. But mm. the point being, like, you don't hear, other than... When Josh Richardson had his little soliloquy on accountability, for the most part, a lot of what the Sixers have done in terms of self-assessment stays in-house, and they don't let other people get involved. Nothing leaks. They Except when they had that themselves. one guy. Who? Uh, James Butler? Bimmy Jutler? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know. I, I think Harris is instrumental in all that. He's just a – those are the things that don't show up when they're playing. Or maybe they do. Like, he's a steady guy, and, and maybe that's why – that's one of the reasons they win in these close games. They have guys like Tobias, like Al Horford, that have been around for a bit. They're pretty mentally tough. They're hard workers, and, and ultimately those things tend to to win out in the end, I think. We talk so much about how hard it is to build around both Joel and Ben, but Tobias is pretty fantastic forward fit alongside those guys. Yeah, you'd want a little bit more creation from that player, but the shooting, the way he can attack the rim, uh, and the improvement he's made on defense make him, you know, pretty ideal fit. And the guy, you know, a year in, you're happy that you gave him that contract. Yeah, I think the problem in terms of fit is less with Tobias. Oh, yeah. More about the other guys that are not bringing – like, he's the sort of person he, – he can dribble enough. He can shoot enough. He's comfortable on ball, off ball. 
He's ver- he's big enough that he can hold up on switches and so on and so forth. If they had more guys like Tobias, they'd be cooking. Like he is certainly like as far as fits go, I think he's he's aces in in a lot of different ways. They just the, the problem is they need more guard play because Neto has shot really well, but when he's asked to to run these units and he's got to attack more, that's just not his game. And so I don't know what the solution is. Uh, it probably we've talked about it already that they they probably need an upgrade from the outside to to really juice up the second units. Uh, I don't know where that's coming from because I guess this will be like a little bit of uh, I don't think that they were as interested in Derek Rose as reports would suggest they are. I nah. think that there's some shenanigans going on there. I would also posit the same about their rumored interest in Danilo Gallinari that came out this week. I, it's cool, but like to have him on the team, it doesn't actually make any sense in terms of the acquisition itself and what you're giving up. Yeah, I just I think even like the reported contact was it's maybe it sounds more dramatic than it actually is in reality that's all i'm gonna say about that i mean the perfect guy isn't there there's no obvious trade candidate which sucks but well and also and so we can touch on another thing from the lakers game with this one of their most natural guys to trade zaire smith played three minutes and and then got hurt again and even without that, like, I just don't know that. I mean, he I don't has... think he had any friggin' value to begin with. Yeah, I don't think he has. Not as a person, value. I mean, on the count, on the court, before someone's acting like an asshole or something. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he has real trade value. I think, for, I had, I've spoken to some people who are at the G League Showcase, which is a big thing that a lot of execs, scouts, etc., are at because they want to monitor up and coming guys and. My understanding is that, that he's not exactly the uh, the talk of the league, is what I would say. So I'm shocked. And, what, what what makes you think that? And, and considering he's one of the few movable guys that is like a no-brainer, okay, yeah, throw him in a trade if they can Yeah, it's trade all upgrade. our shitty players for some good players from other teams. I'm always I, a fan of that. I also Let's give Mike Scott a, and Zaire Smith for uh, <laughs> Stephen Curry. For someone's good. Um, yeah, I had a conversation with somebody at the Lakers game and we were just sitting there talking through trade scenarios. It's like, I don't see a path to them getting someone who's actually good unless like thigh ball were to be available. And nah, I don't think that's, that's feasible. Fireball offense. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like it, they're not moving. Him. Like the Sixers are not moving him unless they're getting like a major piece. star star and nobody's making there's no major piece available that they're going to be able to trade Diable for. Was this person Rich Paul? No. Okay. I'm just, listen, I have lots of conversations. Um, but, yeah, so I just, like, I don't see, I think there are some names that have been floated out there that people got mad about, Robert Covington in particular. If they can, like, as much as Covington does not fix some of the problems they have, Good players are good players. That is a high-end, high, high-end outcome for them at the deadline. I think people should probably temper their expectations a little bit. Now, that being said, there was a time when I thought trading for Jimmy Butler was not on the table for them and was led to believe that. And then that comes 
screaming out of nowhere as I was about to take a nap on a Saturday afternoon. So I, with Elton Brand and the way he tends to operate, uh, I would still say many things are possible. Anything is possible. Uh, all right. Do you want to move on to everybody's favorite segment? Loser of the week. The Mac Collins Loser of the Week Award. Oh, well, Who's it going to this week? I, I'm, I don't know if there's a... Uh, I have someone in mind, but let's. I'm curious what you think. I thought Alex Caruso won. He's disgustingly ugly to look at, and I don't like him being on my TV. Uh, he's also like <laughs> the basketball Twitter, you know, like Bleacher Report type places. They're like Caruso mode, like Caruso season. And he just like does a layup, and he's just like patronizing in a way, and he's annoying. And he went like one for six last night. You know, I hear more about him than almost any player in the league in my casual observations on the internet so he's up there i like your take if you want to go for that so first before we get to that unpopular on this podcast opinion i like alex caruso and he should play more minutes Uh, he played like shot caruso the truth well dude i i so i agree with you that i hate the like bleacher report type shit or like anything he does like a dunk it's like y'all really slept on him huh it's this balding white guy, so any athletic play he makes is done to death, and because he's on the Lakers, it's all ratcheted up to a million. I think he's legit good, and I think he should play way more than he does because Rondo is fucking cooked. Avery Bradley sucks, and he's starting for that team. Like Avery Bradley was a minus 20 in a game they lost by 17. Once they started moving more to like switching schemes rather than one-on-one man defense, that dude's time in this league as a, an effective NBA player was pretty much up. So uh, I've watched the Lakers a ton this year, both out of curiosity and for betting purposes. Every time I watch them, he like not the highlight shit. He makes plays like effort plays, defensive, smart defensive rotations, he should be one of the guys playing the most minutes on that team, as crazy as that sounds. So I will not vouch for him as the loser of the week. My loser of the week is Mr. Peroxide, Slim Shady himself, Kyle Kuzma, who if he didn't play in Los Angeles, nobody would think is any good. That guy I mean, I already don't think he's any good, so... I don't think he's any good now, but nobody would think he's good if he wasn't a Laker. And we've seen this effect before where, like, I don't remember who tweeted it. Somebody said we used to call, like, Twitter collectively used to call Kyle Kuzma 6'9", Jordan Clarkson. And with hindsight, that's an insult to Jordan Clarkson, (laughs) who I don't even like, but it's true. Like, Kyle Kuzma, if he doesn't hit shots – is garbage and it was great seeing tobias harris an actually good nba player just put him in the fucking torture chamber for most of saturday night's game he is awful and the fact that there was a trade rumor where i don't remember who it came from but there was a a suggestion that the kings would trade bogdanovich plus more for kuzma I wouldn't trade some random guy named Bogdanovich for Kuzma. I would take my chances that that random man with the last name Bogdanovich turns into a good NBA player. I mean, it was like a 25% chance. Because <laughs> it seems like that's – listen, if you're named Bogdanovich, you're going to be a good offensive NBA player, and I would take my chances on that guy 
random. Is he Bogdanovic Croatian or Serbian? Serb, I believe. I, now I have to look it up because I feel like I want to say he's Croatian because I thought he played with Dario on the uh, like Olympics and whatever teams. Oh no, okay, Bogdan is Serbian. Yeah, is, is Bojan? Bojan is Croatian, I think. Like the- uh, Bojan was born in Bosnia. Herzegovina. And plays for, it looks like he plays for the Croatian team. Yeah. yeah so that's why sure. I was confused. So, I mean, it is obviously quite confusing that two players with very similar skill sets and on top of that, very similar names that are pretty unfamiliar to people from this country uh, can be quite confusing for the basketball community, even yeah. for someone who was formerly a Euro basketball enthusiast. Point being, if Bojan Bogdanovic has like a cousin or something, I would sign him to a 10-day before I would make Kyle Kuzma an an important part of my NBA team. I think that guy stinks. Yeah, That's about all the energy that I have for Kyle Kuzma. He's got negative energy. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, unless Seamus has any other candidates for loser of the week, I think that will... That'll about wrap this oh, one up. The loser of the week is anyone who thinks last night wasn't fun and it was more fun when the team was bad. Oh, yeah. Obviously, perennial. the 10 and 72 season was more they're, fun. They're than... perennial losers of the week. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Leave us some five-star reviews, and we will uh, talk to you very soon. Word. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.